0: Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Jeremiah chapter 49 gives us another lengthy chapter looking at the judgment not just of one nation, but several. Concerning the Ammonites, thus says Yahweh, Has Israel no sons? Has he no heir? Why then has Milcom dispossessed Gad and his people settled in its cities? Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will cause the battle cry to be heard against Rabbah of the Ammonites. It shall become a desolate mound, and its villages shall be burned with fire. Then Israel shall dispossess those who dispossessed him, says Yahweh. Wail, O Heshbon, for I is laid waste. Cry out, O daughters of Rabbah. Put on sackcloth, lament, and run to and fro among the hedges. For Milcom shall go into exile with his priests and his officials. Why do you boast of your valleys, O faithless daughter, who trusted in her treasures, saying, Who will come against me? Behold, I bring terror upon you, declares the Lord Yahweh of hosts, from all who are around you, and you shall be driven out every man straight before him, with none to gather the fugitives. But afterward I will restore the fortunes of the Ammonites, declares Yahweh. Concerning Edom, thus says Yahweh of hosts, Is wisdom no more unto man? Has counsel perished from the prudent? Has their wisdom vanished? Flee, turn back, dwell in the depths, O inhabitants of Dedan. For I will bring the calamity of Esau upon him, the time when I punish him. If grape-gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? If thieves came by night, would they not destroy only enough for themselves? But I have stripped Esau bare. I have uncovered his hiding-places, and he is not able to conceal himself. His children are destroyed, and his brothers and his neighbors, and he is no more. Leave your fatherless children, I will keep them alive, and let your widows trust in me. For thus says Yahweh, if those who did not deserve to drink the cup must drink it, will you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished, but you must drink. For I have sworn by myself, declares Yahweh, that Basra shall become a horror, a taunt, a waste, and a curse, and all her cities shall be perpetual wastes. I have heard a message from Yahweh, and an envoy has been sent among the nations, Gather yourselves together and come against her and rise up for battle. For behold, I will make you small among the nations, despised among mankind. The horror you inspire has deceived you in the pride of your heart. You who live in the clefts of the rock, who hold the height of the hill, though you make your nest as high as the eagle's eye, will bring you down from there, declares Yahweh. Edom shall become a horror. Everyone who passes by it will be horrified and will hiss because of all its disasters. As when Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring cities were overthrown, says Yahweh, no man shall dwell there, no man shall sojourn in her. Behold, like a lion coming up from the jungle of the Jordan against the perennial pasture, I will suddenly make him run away from her, and I will appoint over her whomever I choose. For who is like me? Who will summon me? What shepherd can stand before me? Therefore hear the plan that Yahweh has made against Edom and the purposes that he has formed against the inhabitants of Teman. Even the little ones of the flock shall be dragged away. Surely their fold shall be appalled at their fate. At the sound of their fall the earth shall tremble. The sound of their cry shall be heard at the Red Sea. Behold, one shall mount up and fly swiftly like an eagle and spread his wings against Basra. And the heart of the warriors of Edom shall be in that day like the heart of a woman in her birth pains." Concerning Damascus. Hamath and Arpad are confounded, for they have heard bad news. They melt in fear. They are troubled like the sea that cannot be quiet. Damascus has become feeble. She turned to flee and panic seized her. Anguish and sorrows have taken hold of her as of a woman in labor. How is the famous city not forsaken the city of my joy? Therefore her young men shall fall in her squares and her Soldiers shall be destroyed in that day, declares Yahweh of hosts, and I will kindle a fire in the wall of Damascus, and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. Concerning Kedar and the kingdoms of Hazor, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, struck down, thus says Yahweh, rise up, advance against Kedar, destroy the people of the east. Their tents and their flocks shall be taken, their curtains and all their goods, their camels shall be led away from them, and men shall cry to them, terror on every side. Flee, wander far away, dwell in the depths, O inhabitants of Hazor, declares Yahweh, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has made a plan against you, and formed a purpose against you. Rise up, advance against the nation at ease that dwells securely, declares Yahweh, that has no gates or bars that dwells alone. Their camels shall become plunder, their herds of livestock a spoil. I will scatter to every wind those who cut the corners of their hair, and I will bring their calamity from every side of them, declares Yahweh. Azor shall become a haunt of jackals. An everlasting waste no man shall dwell there, no man shall sojourn in her. The word of Yahweh that came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning Elam in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah king of Judah. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Behold, I will break the bow of Elam, the mainstay of their might, and I will bring upon Elam the four winds from the four quarters of heaven and I will scatter them to all those winds, and there shall be no nation to which those driven out of Elam shall not come. I will terrify Elam before their enemies and before those who seek their life. I will bring disaster upon them, my fierce anger, declares Yahweh. I will send the sword after them until I have consumed them, and I will set my throne in Elam and destroy their king and officials, declares Yahweh. But in the latter days I will restore the fortunes of Elam, declares Yahweh. This is the word of the Lord. It's going to be tough. I don't know how to handle this chapter quickly um, to get you through all these different nations, all these different judgments. I'm going to leave most of the judgment language probably out, as we've had a few days in a row on that, with with first Egypt and then Philistia, and and also Moab. There's some similar phrases. In fact, there's a lot of repeated phrases as well in these these judgments. So let's focus a little bit more on who these peoples are and where they've come from, perhaps, and that might give us a starting point. So the Ammonites, as Moab yesterday was the tribe that comes, the nation that comes from the oldest daughter of Lot, her incest with her father after getting him drunk in Genesis 19. Ammon comes in the same way. The Ammonites are the descendants of Lot via the youngest daughter's incest, and her son Ben Ami. So they end up taking up residence southeast of the of the people of God, the Promised Land. So if you were to go from the Promised Land, cross the Jordan River, that southern portion there near the top of the Salt Sea, that would be the land of Ammon. Now, just to pick up on what's in the text a little bit here. Not a long one for Ammon compared to what it is for Edom next. Has Israel no son? Has he no heir? Why then has Milcom dispossessed Gad and his people settled in its cities? That one probably needs a little bit of unpacking. Milcom is the false god of the Ammonites. So with Moab, we had the false god Kamash. Now we have Milcom. And that he dispossessed Gad. Gad was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. But when they were making their way to the promised land two and a half tribes, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, decided that they liked the land on the eastern side of the Jordan River well enough. They didn't care to cross the Jordan. They wanted to stay right there. So Gad eventually is dispossessed. The Ammonites take the land from him. I believe this probably happens because Tiglath-Pilesar in 750 BC will empty out the land, the larger area of Gilead, and carry off exiles into Assyria. 2 Kings 15, verse 29, for that context there. And then the Ammonites just take over the empty land. That seems to be the picture. And that's what the Lord is talking about here. Aren't there Israelites? I mean, shouldn't they be living here? This was their land that the Lord gave to them. But the Ammonites are now there. Rabbah is the capital city of the Ammonites. Uh, It's located 10 miles east of the Jordan River and about 5 miles north of the top of the Salt Sea. There is a note already of restoration for Israel there in verse 2, that Israel shall dispossess those who dispossessed him. So this was taken from God's people. God will eventually give it back to his people. Heshbon and I are cities of that, that nation. Um, Milcom will go into exile with his priests and officials, just like was said of the Moabite god Kamash in chapter 48, verse 7. Their pride is seen in verse 4, who will come against me. Um, and so God will come against them, and they will be defeated. 582 BC, by the way, is the time stamp on, on their demise. Afterward, I will restore the fortunes of the Ammonites, declares Yahweh. And I do want to pick up on that note, because that shows up several times. We've seen it already of Moab, and we see it now for Ammon, and we're going to see it at the end of the chapter, the last verse, for Elam. Those three, but not the rest, Egypt, Philistia, Edom, Damascus, Kadar, Hazor, not for those. So God is making a full end of some people's, but others, in his judgment, he is sparing a remnant. He is sparing a few, and in hopes that they repent, and some will. And this is one of my favorite Old Testament passages. I've said it in the podcast I know before, but Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, God speaking about the promised Messiah that he will send to save his people. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Hallelujah, amen. Moab, Ammon, Elam, they're included. Thanks be to God. The judgment against Edom comes next. Edom are the descendants of Esau, the Edomites. So if you remember Jacob and Esau from the book of Genesis, the middle of the book there, The Edomites will be destroyed in 533, sorry, 553 by the last Babylonian king, Nabonidus. Obadiah, that minor prophet that only has one chapter, uh, that whole book is a prophecy against Edom. So they are the land to the south of the Salt Sea. They are often harsh to God's people. The first part of their text, verse 7, talks about wisdom. Um, essentially the the old world the ancient world thought of the edomites as a wise people but their their ancestor esau was a fool and so that's why verse 8 compares it and says that he will bring upon them the calamity of esau they will be foolish and they will lose everything as esau was foolish and lost everything to his brother jacob grape gatherers would leave stuff behind a thief even leaves stuff behind but god will so plunder them there will be nothing left verse 11 god tells them to leave the orphans and the widows he will keep them alive they will trust in him those are two of his old testament protected classes sojourners usually make up the third or foreigners aliens however you want to phrase it um, these are the ones that god looks after and they have not so god will with verse 12 a family conversation can come up this idea of did not those if those who did not deserve to drink the cup must drink it will you go unpunished they're referring to the cup of God's wrath the cup of his anger that cup by the way is prevalent in the book of revelation as i think about it but anyway um, this family question is there anyone has there ever been anyone who doesn't deserve to drink the cup of god's wrath there's only ever been one jesus christ and yet he drank it you might recall when james and john ask if they can be the greatest if they can have the seats at his right and his left in his kingdom when he establishes his new earthly kingdom and jesus asks them something along the lines of if they can drink the cup that he will drink and he's referring to his suffering to his death And he tells them eventually that they will drink his cup, they will share in it. Jesus is the only one that didn't deserve to drink it, and yet he willingly drank it on our behalf. God summons the nations against Edom. They think they're defensible. They're in the clefts of the rock. They live high up like an eagle, but God will bring them down. Sodom Gomorrah comparison, that's Genesis 19. The, the lion coming out of the jungle against the pasture, eating fresh meat. Here's a question again for the family. Verse 19. So, who will summon me? Who is like me? What shepherd can stand before me? And that's again a good point to connect to Jesus. Ask your kids that question. What shepherd can stand before me? Only one. The good shepherd from John chapter 10. Who does stand before the Father on the day of judgment for me and for you to declare us clean, innocent, forgiven by his own blood. He stands, that shepherd, stands before God, the Father, forevermore. Their cry shall be heard at the Red Sea. That would be about 200 miles south. Uh, Probably a bit of an exaggeration, but to make a point, right? The emphasis being how great their cry is. Verse 23 takes us to Damascus. Damascus is off to the north of the promised land, 60 miles north of the Sea of Canareth, which is the Sea of Galilee in the New Testament, and is the capital of Syria. For a while, it's in a prominent city in most of history. So they are spoken of fairly simple judgment terms that they will be destroyed, forsaken. Ben-Hadad, at the very end of that, is one of her former kings. They will fall to Babylon shortly after Jerusalem does. It's interesting that they're not talked of as being one of those restored. Because we think of the Apostle Paul, before he's an apostle, the road to Damascus. This is where he was going to arrest the Christians and bring them before the Sanhedrin for trial back in Jerusalem. And yet he ends up living in Damascus as a Christian. Between Damascus and Arabia, he spends three years preaching the gospel. So, again, interesting they're not included in the list, but they're not. Judgment against Kedar and Hazor. Huz- These are both cities in southeastern Syria that Babylon's king Nebuchadnezzar will destroy in 599 BC. So this one's a little bit of an earlier judgment. Um, Not a lot here, although with verse 29, the men shall cry to them terror on every side. It's again that Magor-Misaviv name that God gives to the priest Peshur that rejects his word and beats his prophet Jeremiah. But my question to consider, and this is not necessarily one for the children, though I guess you could, has there ever been a kingdom like Babylon? Look at all these declared judgments. Look at all these nations God says are going to fall. And Babylon is the actor. Babylon is the hand, the sword that the Lord chooses to use. Devastating this region. Now, ultimately, Babylon itself does not repent and they will be destroyed by the Lord just the same. They will become prideful and think themselves too great and God will tear them down. By the hand of cyrus king of persia in 539 bc that's coming though chapter 50 and 51 are all about babylon's destruction so i'm getting ahead of myself verse 32 those who cut the corners of their hair is a phrase you might not be familiar with it has been in the book before i think it was all the way back in chapter 9 it's a custom off to the southeastern lands around arabia uh, although some do argue that instead of thinking of the sides of your head that this is more the idea of a beard either way god has forbidden his people to do this thing because it would be fitting in with the pagan cultures his shall become like a haunt of jackals jackals are mentioned seven times 17 times in the old testament they're like a undomesticated kind of dog um coy- coyote like perhaps they are never mentioned in a good light. They're always connected with the prophets and this idea of emptiness. They basically come in and live in empty uninhabited places and use the land. Lastly, Elam. Elam Elam traces its roots way back to Genesis chapter 10. Elam is one of the sons of Shem, the son of Noah, and Elam will then move off to the east and that land, where the Tigris-Euphrates come together off by the Persian Gulf, that land and east of it become Elam. And in fact, even tracing along the Tigris and the Euphrates for a while are considered Elam in the book of Genesis, to the point where Genesis 14, keter king of Elam, is the one who fights against the various peoples and captures Lot, takes Lot hostage, and Abram, at the time still not Abraham yet, Abram chases after him with his army of over 300 men and they overcome Keter-Laumer and his great alliance of three other kings, and they defeat them, and they bring back the plunder. That might have been already the end of Elam's reign as a mighty nation among the nations of the earth, but regardless for our sake in this text, Elam is... 200 miles east of Babylon at this point in history. Uh, Susa was one of their key cities, which a little bit later in history becomes a very important city for the, the nation of Persia. The Book of Esther primarily will take place in that city of Susa, in Elam. So this is spoken in the reign of Zedekiah at the beginning, so around 597 BC. And God speaks of breaking their bow, so essentially destroying their army, the question becomes i guess for them is when and so is this a picture of babylon overcoming elam or is this a picture of with persia being part of it them being destroyed under that time too when basically the lord gives persia over to greece i don't know if there's enough here i'd probably go to the former the earlier one the idea of babylon coming into to elam but I don't have a lot of information to share on that particular one. So we wrap up here with the idea, again, that final verse, I will restore, in the latter days, I will restore the fortunes of Elam. Now that could be a reference to, again, their, their prominence under the Persian Empire. It doesn't seem that way necessarily, as we're connecting, again, Moab, Ammon, and Elam to this idea of restoration. In the latter days, we take that to be Christ, that Jesus... His good news is also for the Gentiles. And so people from these nations, these remnants, get to join the church. And that's something we say, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen.